0: Bradshaw, trying to get away, and his pass is broken up by Tatum. Tipped off! Franco Harris has it! And he's over!
1: What? Out of nowhere came Franco Harris,
0: riding a white stallion, heading up Franco's Italian army, and galloping off into the sunset.
2: You ever think here today... That night, driving home, this is a play we're going to be talking about 100 years from now? 50 years from now? It's interesting. I tell people that uh, during most of the 70s, we never talked about that play. You know what I mean? And and, and and I think back, and I said, well, looking at the 70s, that's a good thing, because we had hell of a run during the 70s. Oh, my gosh.
0: From the Finlay Toyota Studio... It's Coalfield and Company.
2: We're from the town with the great football team. We cheer the Pittsburgh Steelers. Chuck, nord and all his friends are all over.
0: All right,
3: sad day, sad day. Willie Ramirez is here. That's not why it's sad. But uh, Willie's in. We'll reminisce a little bit. Uh, Raiders game has a different feel now in Pittsburgh. It's crazy, It's crazy. Franco Harris is going to have his number retired this weekend as they celebrate 50 years after in Pittsburgh, the Immaculate Reception. You heard the highlight there. And then we wake up this morning and uh, Franco passes away. At seventy two years old. He was doing the media rounds yesterday. You heard the interview there on Sirius XM with uh Mad Dog Russo and Franco Harris is gone. Bummer. Bummer. Not a good way to wake up. I know you get up a lot earlier, but uh, you know, when you're a sports fan, to see one of the icons of the seventies Willie pass away and, you know, prematurely when he seemed like he was in pretty good health and he was gonna get honored this weekend, totally sucks.
2: Yeah, I saw it uh in the middle of the night. I'd, I'd woken up and just take some time to fall back asleep sometimes. So I just, you know, grabbed the phone, and started scrolling through, and I saw AP had moved a breaking story on uh, Franco Passant. So a um, little shocking um, simply simply for the fact that you, we knew it was leading up to this week with the Raiders and covering the Raiders and after the way the Raiders won last week and the fact that the 50th uh, – anniversary of the Immaculate Reception was going to be, you know, celebrated. And like you said, the interviews that were being done, I mean, and, and Franco was a somewhat of a polarizing figure for me, you know, sure. just the Cowboys, Cowboys fan and, you know, the, the robberies in the Super Bowl and, um, and just watching Pittsburgh and the AFC, you know, back then in the 70s. So, you know, the, 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 um, it, 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 there was a different vibe in the superstars, la- you know, back then uh, um, of the different teams. You know, you just you, you think of the teams, and you think of one polarizing figure or or two here on the offensive side, defensive side. But when it came to like a team like the Steelers, you know, Terry Bradshaw, Lynn Swan, John Stallworth, and of course Franco Harris on the other side, the steel curtain. But um, Franco was one of those guys where you know, and, and there wasn't like bitter hated rival. Right? I didn't really start hating teams until the catch in eighty one. It was just more so like the Steelers was for me was the Dallas Cowboys rival, not not anybody you know back then. I think the the Cardinals were in the same division um, Redskins, the then Redskins, the Giants and the uh the Eagles, but uh the Steelers always were considered a rivalry, but you always had respect for those guys and So, yeah, definitely a sad day. I was looking forward to seeing some of the ceremonies and celebrations that were taking place leading up to this Saturday's uh, game between the Raiders and the Steelers. Well, you
3: wonder what it's going to be like emotionally for the Steelers in that stadium? I mean, I think it was already going to be very charged, but now kind of a, you know, do it for Franco. Feel will be there. I can't believe this happened. It's crazy. It's crazy. You know, so close to him being honored. And uh, we're going to have a guest in later who uh, did not expect to talk about the death of Franco Harris, a guy uh, Paul Guggenheimer who works for the Pittsburgh Tribune-Review, I'd you know seen a story that he did on the Immaculate Reception. I thought it was awesome, so it's like, hey, let's let's get him on in the middle of the week. I again, I had no clue we'd be talking about you know memories of, of Franco Harris. And uh, for me, you know, when you're when you're about this age, whatever you know, late 40s to say mid 50s, um, Franco Harris is like one of the icons of the 70s. He's one of yep. the, the superstars and You know, the crazy thing about the guy, it's not crazy, but, you know, when you look back, you see even, like, the Steeler offensive linemen, right? You see them, and you're like, oh, those are big guys. And then you see today's players, you're like, holy crap, you know? John Kolb, I remember seeing him, offensive lineman, uh, on uh, Superstars. Remember that show? Right? So John Cole would be on there. and He's he's a big guy, muscular guy, but, you know, I I don't know. I'd have to check his size, you know, what he was when he played. Probably, you know, 6'3", 255, and now you got linemen who were, you know, 6'6", and 340, but Franco Harris is one of those guys, when you saw him on the field, you're like, whoa. Yeah. And anytime I saw him in retirement, I was like, wait, that guy played running back? I knew who he was, and I wasn't questioning whether he played running back, but he was yeah, he was a big dude. Much bigger than most running backs at the time. He was a force, he had speed. You saw it on the... That was his rookie year, the Immaculate Reception. Can you imagine being a rookie in the NFL? And we'll have some audio from Franco for some uh, from some of the interviews he did. Being a rookie in the NFL, the Steelers up until 72 really had sucked. It was a terrible franchise that was a magical season they were going through and then they pull off that freaking play in the playoffs to advance to play the unbeaten dolphins he was a rookie making that play one of the most famous plays in the history of the national football league just an incredible career and you know for everyone i've been reading uh you know who got a chance to meet franco harris i probably interviewed him here or there but you know really got to meet him said he was a great guy, ambassador for Pittsburgh. So uh, very sad to to see him go. We'll hit on uh, Franco a little later in the show. So today's a big day around college football. And for me, Willie, and I'm sure for you, because I don't know that you're hardcore college football guy where you're worried about uh, who's signing in 2023 and who might be great in 2026. And some of the guys who signed today may emerge as players this year and next. But I think college football has changed so much that – Signing day is interesting, and I think it's really interesting for like the top 25 programs in the country. And you know, for people at Oregon, they're all fired up because they got some players to flip. Uh, but I've always thought signing day was a bit overrated, not for the players. This is a dream come true, and you have a, a lot of people who are getting to go to four year schools on full rides, getting to live out their dream. It's really cool for the players, but I've always wondered about all the hype on guys. Many of them, most of them, you're not really going to see as big contributors for at least a couple of years as they get bigger and stronger. Redshirting, what is what is signing day for you? Uh,
2: there I, you go. I, That's it. That's I, it. I yeah. think it's more about you know i am interested to to just to kind of glance over whatever, whomever happens to be the UNLV coach, uh see what UNLV does. Right. But then like you said, like the I guess the power fives or or the traditional top twenty five teams, um, it's 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 not as big of a deal, um, the blockbuster signings, but I I do think that the transfer portal has made a difference in that in, in that because um, you do w- when you're in the transfer portal, and especially some of the bigger names, um, and then all of a sudden they they've agreed or you read that they're going to, you, you kind of get the news ahead of time. So, you've got, so it's almost like we hear so much these kids that make these. Commitments and the videos that they're done bleacher report has these these promotions with these kids and these deals cut, right? Um, I remember Dorian Thompson Robinson came to me one day at a high school soccer game and he asked me said I don't know what to do Um, I'm gonna sign with UCLA and I agreed to not say anything at the time And He was like I'm gonna sign but I don't know whether to do my own thing or You know they want to put out a special video with I think it was bleacher report at the time, but anyway so you have all these deals with these media outlets and they're putting these 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 videos and the tribute videos or they're, or they're or they're making their own posts that you kind of already know. Right. So it's kind of lost its luster outside of the other thing for me, signing day, which since the pandemic, because I haven't really been able to cover or I don't cover high school sports anymore, that was a big deal for me was going around to the local schools. Right. Especially as 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 you know, as I grew older, and then my son graduated, and I, I knew less, more, less and less kids. Um, but friends' kids who were signing, what for me? So the local level probably was the more important yeah. UNLV, and then like you said, you know, the the bigger schools.
3: And it's cool for the kids have have a good time. You know, it, this is a, a a life's mission for the parents. You know, make sure your kids educated, and if he has a chance to get a free education, that's awesome. So I'm not taking away from the kids, but I just think. College football is a whole different world now, and I personally would build a little bit with, say, 2023s. I think you have to go into the portal. I think you got to grab players who are ready now, who are older and more mature. I think the whole system is going to change. And for UNLV today, it was not going to be a big day on 13 days on the job. That actually would be malpractice if UNLV had, like, 23 signings today. Like, what are you doing? Do you really know your own roster yet? Do you know who's going to be around? I thought what Marcus Arroyo did last year, for me, opened my eyes that there's now three recruiting periods. So there's the one before Christmas. You're going to have another one in February. And then there's the third around spring practice and right after. And they did a really good job. Think about the guys they scooped up right around the spring game. Uh, Two of them were Elijah Shelton, who wound up being a starter because uh, Brennan Scott went down at outside linebacker. And another one was Aiden Robbins. And they did some really good work with Ricky White. They got a guy, I think, who's going to be good in the future in Seneca McKee. They got a starting safety in, I think it was the second or third recruiting period in Jordan Morgan. So there's a lot more to come. They It looks like this will be the, the class for now. And this is very similar to what happened with Arroyo. Remember, Arroyo came in. Again, you have almost no time before this first signing day. If I remember correctly, I think Sanchez had thirteen verbal commits, and Sant, uh, Arroyo took two or three max, and one of them was Brumfield. He may he may not have even taken three; it might have been two. They announced today they've got seven signees. Yep, and I'm not going to say they're addressing anything. I saw some people out there like, oh, you know, you got to get guys in the trenches. They, I'm sure they're concentrating on that. These are not all people who are going to play right away. The, uh, the biggest thing is, from a positional scarcity standpoint, they need to get some tight ends because the tight end room got real empty the last couple of years because of the guys moving on. So they signed a couple of tight ends. We'll tell you more about the players as we move along. They, uh, they did get a big offensive lineman who had committed about two months ago at Haynes from Liberty. Uh, they got some size on the D-line and O-line in terms of high school players, uh, they did get a, a big steal today, a guy who had committed to Arizona, decommitted yesterday from Centennial in California in Corona, uh, Lucas Conti, who's a uh, 260-pound defensive lineman, and they did hold on to uh, one of Arroyo's verbals, and that was a kid out of Hawaii, a 6'2 linebacker. So I think this is just sort of laying a foundation, and then the next two periods will be very busy. And, hey, Willie, who knows? By the time we get to the spring, you could have – 15, 18 players who played for UNLV or who were on the roster for UNLV a year ago in the transfer portal. I have no idea what they want to do, and I have no idea what the new coaching staff wants to do with the players who are on the roster. So this all has to be be patient. It's all going to be worked out.
2: And, you know, today is not, this signing period today is not, it's not, you know, it's not important. Uh, Barry Odom's first priority, regardless of what anyone wants to say or think, his first priority was keeping kids here. And 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 making sure that keeping kids
3: on the team, keeping kids on and the team, and it also seemed like their first priority was getting out and canvassing the local high schools because well, they yesterday there was a bunch of news on 2024 offers going out mm-hmm. with local high schools. So uh yeah, I think they whoever got on the message they hit the ground running and they were like, we got to go out and repair. If I'm not going to say if it seems like a lot of high school coaches were complaining about the previous regime, so they did a lot of work the last ten days to get in front of people and start establishing relationships, which. Hopefully, we'll pay off two and three years from now.
2: Right. That's that's what I was going to say. Is the second, first priority, uh, keeping kids, second, locals, and now third, hitting the recruiting show.
3: On the way back, let's talk a little more about the, uh, the O coordinator, this coaching staff, Bobby Petrino. We've been trying to get background on Petrino, get you some more information. Wanted to talk about uh, his second run at Louisville. One of the guys who did radio there is up with us in just a couple minutes, Jason Anderson, who's now in Kansas City, who also covers Missouri and uh, – has familiarity with
0: Barry Odom. Are you ready to air your ESPN Las Vegas grievances? Festivus comes this Friday on Cofield and Company. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio.
3: Alright, talking about signing day, and we were just breaking down UNLV. Uh light numbers. Coach just got hired in the last two weeks, but Wanted to continue to do uh, some background, get you more information on Barry Odom, and especially Bobby Petrino, and a guy who uh, covers the uh, market in Kansas City, and of course they uh, cover Mizzou football, so he knows Barry Odom, and he was in Louisville when Bobby Petrino was there. Jason Anderson, WHB, is up with us.
1: Jason, how you doing, buddy?
3: What is up, Steve? How are you, man? I'm good. You got our Christmas shopping done, or uh, are you in the pressure cooker?
1: You know, um, luckily for me, the only Christmas shopping I have to worry about is for my wife, and then she takes care of everything else. So I'm about 20% done with Christmas shopping. So. So, <laughs> not, no, I'm not. Yeah. I've got one person to worry about, and I'm still in behind. Uh-oh. So, yeah. I know.
3: It always happens no matter what. All right, we'll get you in and out of here quickly. Good. Get, get Christmas shopping. Oh, uh, um, First you're of all, good, give, give me your reaction to uh, Barry Odom taking the UNLV job and also your memories of Odom in his four-year run at Mizzou.
1: Well, I I mean, I'm happy for Barry Odom. I hope he's successful there at UNLV. I think he's a really good defensive coordinator. And honestly, at Mizzou, I don't know that he got a full fair shake in his time in those four years because when we have to think back to when Gary Pinkle, who's, you know, College Football Hall of Fame head coach, the last year of Gary Pinkle, a lot of people think that, you know, you win the SEC East a couple of times and then he retires and then somebody else takes over – that's not what happened. Gary Pinkle, they won the SEC East, and then it started to slip. And the last year for Gary Pinkle, when he announced that he had cancer and he was stepping down, they went 5-7 and seven that year. But people forget the racial unrest that was going on at Mizzou, of what was going on within St. Louis and issues on the campus there. There were the, uh, the players that were threatening to boycott the BYU game in Kansas City if it wasn't for the chancellor, president, all these things that they wanted to see happen. Cause they didn't feel like some of the racial issues were being handled on campus. And as you can imagine, that kills recruiting around the state and kids from St. Louis, they going to go to Missouri, not anymore. And so Gary Pinkle steps down, they hire Barry Odom. And I think because there weren't many coaches that really wanted to touch the job at that time. And Barry Odom being a guy who was Missouri through and through said, you know what? I'll take the job. And that first year he was four and eight. And he's trying to dig him out of a hole. In the next couple of years, he starts to get it rolling. And then the NCAA hits them with the postseason ban at the end of the, his fourth year. I think it was 2019. At the end of his fourth year for something that happened a few years before that, many years before that, in which Missouri um, you know, uh, 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 turned themselves into the NCAA um, and, and told on them themselves the NCAA did not know there was a tutor that was helping any of the students. Missouri found out, and they self-reported to the NCAA, and then the NCAA hammered them and gave him a postseason ban, and so that season was kind of up and down. They started off slow. They won a few games, but then once they found out, like, all right, you're not going to go to the postseason, it kind of just fell apart at the end. And so at that point, Missouri decided to move on, and I'm like, I like Barry Odom. I don't know that I saw it at Missouri with him being a head coach, but I also don't think he got a fair shake. I think he probably learned a whole lot at Missouri, and he's going to be a better head coach at UNLV because of – Four years and the experiences at Mizzou because I'm pretty sure at UNLV there's some things that happened at Mizzou that he's not going to have to deal with with the racial tensions digging out of that and then an NCAA investigation and then oh by the way you're not bowl eligible in a year you were kind of building towards
3: Jason Anderson does radio in Kansas City did radio in Louisville how long were you on radio in Louisville 10 years okay so you heard some things you saw some things you were around some things (laughs) so were you surprised to see Former Louisville coach, former Arkansas coach Bobby Petrino, pop up here as the O coordinator.
1: I was because <laughs> okay, I, I, and and besides the the Vegas jokes like that that aside, I mean people will will, will have those. But I'm surprised that he was willing to work for somebody else. Hmm. That that's that's the shocking part is he's willing to have a, a boss that he has to answer to. That that I don't know how that dynamic is going to work for Bobby Petrino. It's been a long time since he, he's had to do that.
3: What happened at the end of his second run at
1: Louisville? Well, uh, I mean, so the one question I have about Bobby is, you know, when he got back into football after the the Arkansas issue that took place, and then he was at WKU for a year, and and by the way, his offensive coordinator was Jeff Brom, who was at Purdue and they won, <laughs> you know, their division and played for the Big Ten championship, and is now at Louisville. So he 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 um, he left WKU Western Kentucky in good hands in the one year that he was there by. Jeff Brom taking over, but he came to Louisville and that was the end of the Charlie strong run. Charlie strong got the job at Texas and those previous two years, Louisville was 22 and three and they were really good. And Charlie strong had the defense filled with guys that are playing on Sundays. And so Bobby Petrino took over and it was going to be Charlie strong's defense meshed with Bobby Petrino's offense. And that first year they were pretty good. They were nine and four. And it was the first year of them going into the ACC. So it looked like things were going to be, heading in the right direction. But you could tell some players were sort of, you know, leaving the the recruiting on the defensive side wasn't great as as it was before, but then he got a guy named Lamar Jackson. (laughs) And uh, that kind of changed things for, for Bobby Petrino. And Lamar Jackson's freshman year, you could see there was something there. And then sophomore year, he won the Heisman and Louisville was amazing. And that was sort of the end of the Charlie Strong players on defense. And then the next year, Lamar, in his junior year, they were pretty good, but there was something sort of missing. Like, it, it, it didn't have the spark that it had the year before. And then that fourth year after Lamar left, it all came crashing down. And, you know, throughout the season, they'd had some games that were close. They had some games that they, you know, could have won. And when it took a turn was a game against Florida State. And they were leading late in the game. They had the ball with, like, two minutes to play. And they had a fresh set of downs, and they decided to pass the ball. And a guy by the name of Juwan Pass throws an interception to Florida State, who then takes the ball, and their next possession, they go and score with like 10 seconds to go, and Louisville loses the game. And apparently in the locker room, and we've talked to plenty of of, uh, players on that team uh, since then, in the locker room, Bobby Petrino told everybody, it's it's your fault, every player, it's your fault. It's not my fault. I'm going to get blamed for this. It's your fault. You lost this game. You did this. You did that. And the players sort of looked around and said, you know what, bleep this guy. Bleep this. And at that point, he had lost the team. That next week, they came out and got beat by 40 to Georgia Tech. And the scores were just worse after that. They were losing by 30 and 40. And we talked about it on the air that, you know, we kept saying, this is easy money this week. Vegas has not caught up to the fact that these players have quit on Bobby Utrino and he's lost the locker room because they weren't covering the spread by like two touchdowns. Not that they were losing by two touchdowns. They weren't covering the spread by two touchdowns. And, and so we've talked to a number of players, and they're like, yeah, we checked out at that point. Like, we couldn't believe that there was a coach that were out there busting our butt. Like, we didn't call a passing play. We know that. We know football It's dumb. And he was so upset about it and probably knew that it was a bad play and knew that people were going to be upset that he comes in the locker room and starts, you know, uh, giving the players the business. And so, yeah, I mean, the players, the defense could have got to stop after that. The quarterback, while calling a passing play, didn't need to throw an interception, you know, so there are some things that certainly there's accountability with the players, but there was something, again, that we that we had talked about at that time that the junior year of Lamar, like something was missing. Like I don't know what it was. And then that next year when it all falls apart and the players just quit and it's like, All right, I don't know how many players really believed in Bobby or they believed in the the team and playing with Lamar and a chance to win the ACC because of how good that Louisville team was at that time. So I mean, he still gets credit for uh, recruiting Lamar. He still gets credit for developing Lamar, because he was the only one that, that in a, at a big school that took Lamar Jackson as a, as a quarterback. That's why he went to Louisville. Florida wanted him. Alabama wanted him. But they wanted him as an athlete. They wanted him to be a wide receiver. They wanted him to do what everybody talked about when he got to the NFL. And Bobby Petrino said, no, you're a quarterback. I'll turn you into a quarterback. You come here to Louisville. And to his credit, he did. So he knows offense. I think he can develop. I just don't know working directly with players as a coordinator, whereas a head coach, he didn't really have to have that sort of maybe personal interaction that it didn't seem like the players uh, sort of uh, fully bought into some. Because some did. Lamar likes the
2: guy. Speaking with Jason Anderson, Sports Radio 810, <clears throat> WHB in Kansas City. Uh, Jason, so Petrino's not known necessarily as a guy who sticks around too long in all the places. Does UNLV – have anything to worry about in terms of him going anywhere? But two-part question: um, Would that even be the case? Considering I'm not sure how many people are knocking down Petrino's door.
1: That's the thing is I, I think the the fact that he took the uh, coordinator job I think is a decent indication of what he thinks the job status is for him as a head coach at the Division One level. Um, I don't know if it's like you know Bobby Petrino will jump to the next job. That is the reputation, and it's you know pretty much been what he is. Uh, He's done in his career, Um, but you know, jumping from coordinator to I don't know what, you know, uh, uh, what team gives him a job because look what he did at Louisville after Lamar Jackson, we saw that, and even at Missouri State, he got there. It was a rough program. He turned it around quickly, but then in year three, they dropped seven points per game. They finished eighth in their in their conference, and then he takes an offensive coordinator job. So that's kind of what he's done: is he'll be around, and as soon as he sees it start to go. South, he'll you know do what we call you know re- reset the shot clock in in the coaching world, and you know, I'll just go over here and get another job for a few years. So, the fact that he's a coordinator, I think it's it's good from that perspective because if he takes another job, well then you know Barry Odom go get another coordinator, and I'll also say that I think Barry Odom's pretty good at identifying assistant coaches because his offensive coordinator when he was at Mizzou was Josh Heupel. And his defensive coordinator, when Barry Odom was at Mizzou, was Ryan Walters, who's now the head coach at um, um, uh, uh, at Purdue. Uh, Purdue at Purdue, yeah. Okay. Uh, with Jeff Rom taking over at Louisville, so he had those guys on his staff, and and so at least I think Barry Odom can identify other good coaches that are out there, and Bobby Vitrino can still coach offense. If uh, you know you can have your position coaches that are dealing with the players, and Barry Odom overall is a coach, who the players like, so uh, it can work. I don't know that it will, but I think it can.
3: Jason Anderson, WHB, is with us. What's the uh, early read on our good friend Desiree Reed-Francois, who is now the athletic director at Missouri Basketball Program? That looks like a good hire so far. And I know Drinkwitz is, you know, I I think the the jury's a little bit out on him, but I'm not sure that she can move on Drinkwitz anytime soon since they just signed him. I'm not sure who gave the okay on signing him to an extension, but what's the read on DRF?
1: Yeah, um, you know what? People liked it. Uh, you know, with when she came in, and it was like, okay, let's look what she's done at UNLV, and that may not be the best track record anymore. But the the basketball coach, it, it, there were about four or five names that were out there. He was one of the the guys uh, that I had, you know, as somebody that I would like to see Missouri go and higher. Eli Drinkwitz is an interesting one because the guy is colorful. He's got a great quote for a lot of things. So, I mean, you you give him a question or something, he'll have a fun little you know, quirky Southern, all shucks, here's a fun little line for you. And and so he does some of those things. But the the read from for Eli is that, you know, it's it kind of getting stale with the news off the field. And it's about time that you make some news by winning some football games and beating Arkansas was big and, you know, getting the bowl eligibility. But you're right, the, the contract extension didn't make a whole lot of sense. Because a lot of times you're like, okay, they give him an extension because, they want to make the they want to let the recruits know that hey we believe in this guy he's not going anywhere, but then they made it tougher to fire him. You know it's not like yeah. they just gave him a couple of years and they could still fire him. It costs them now more to fire him, and they didn't get a lot of insurance on the back end to where if he took another job he was going to have to pay more money to the university to leave. It was a very it was an odd extension because it was like an extension you give a coach that you say. We're not letting you go anywhere. We're taking care of you, man. We believe in you. You're doing awesome stuff, and if somebody comes and calls, man, you let them know how much we believe in you. It's odd for the position that Eli Drinkwitz in Mizzou is in over the last couple of years.
3: Jason, good spot, man. We know you're a busy guy. Thank you for the time, and have a good holiday. Absolutely. You too, man. There he is, Jason Anderson, one of the uh, hosts at WHB in Kansas City, giving us some info there on Bobby Petrino and um, saying that he'd gotten really hard on that last Louisville team not shocking, we talked to uh, Steph on the floors, who was the Louisville quarterback when Petrino first took over as head coach back in 2003-2004. Now, he didn't say that he belittled people or lost the locker room, but he did say he coaches really hard, he
0: can be really critical, and he is a perfectionist. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Willie G. Ramirez, or tweet the show at Cofield & Co.
2: It is one of the most <laughs> shocking deals in the history of baseball. And on so many different levels, to have, you know, 24th hour development like this, the physical with the Giants not going well, Correa jumping
1: ship, going to a big market uh, team that he wants. And I'm sure that other owners in
0: baseball are also waking up going, what? Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. 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 Love it. Buster Olney talking about Carlos Correa
3: winds up spurning the Giants because they had given him a 12-year deal, and then they said there's some red flag in the physical, and the Mets swooped in, and they're like, we'll take them. So they signed them to a $300 million-plus deal, and I love what Buster Olney said at the end there about other owners waking up and saying what? Yeah, the what is, if you're not going to spend money and you're not going to spend the money baseball gives you, sell your team. All right? Sell your team. Because there are 12, 13, 14 owners who want to spend money to make money, and if you're not one of them, get out of baseball. So I love this. I hate the Mets, but I love what Steve Cohen is doing. Um, I think in a lot of ways, unfortunately for him, because he's in New York, he's having to pay a New York tax because so many of the fans in New York and New Jersey are jackasses and the media as well. By the way, do you see the uh, – it's, just, it's the, the bitterness of so many of the fans there. You know, I've talked multiple times about Yankee fans and media people still trying to crap on Joey Gallo. Like, it's over, all right? You tortured him. It didn't work. Don't worry about what he's making in Minnesota. So I saw that a couple of times. And then uh, John Heyman, who fancies himself a national baseball media voice, for some reason tweets out, uh, Mets, great trade, aloof part-time ace, Jacob deGrom, for determined, dedicated, all-time great, Justin Verlander. Like, what's the point? Like, uh, yeah, guys leave, and, you, and then you crap on them. Like, wh- and then you wonder why you, the, the the teams there have to pay so much money to get players. And so many players, the you know, free agents, are like, "No, no, I'm not going to a place like the Knicks because of D's like this and some of the fans." Very interesting, though.
2: Well, it it just adds to the intrigue for the entire post or uh, offseason oh, yeah. w- with this team. I mean, look at the names at this 806.1 million total outlay.
3: I think the payroll is going to be 380. You know what that does to me? Don't care. It's not my money. If I'm a Mets fan, good. You buy a baseball team, then go get the best players possible. You want me to come to the games? You want me to, you know, spend money at advertising partners? Go spend money. You want to be cheap and tell me the players aren't worth it? Then I'm not going to watch your product or pay for it. How about that? Love it. Love it. And it also shoves it right in the face of the supposed evil empire now owned by these flunky kids of Big George, who won't spend any freaking money.
0: The big day is this Friday. Cofield and Company's Festivus. Compile your list of complaints now. Have you talked to anybody who was surprised by your decision?
4: Anybody that knows Will Anderson (laughs) and that knows what type of person I am, the competitor I am, probably knew that I was going to be playing in this game. (laughs) Everybody says it's like the business part of it. But when you love the game of football, you also have that competitor part in it. And me just being at home, was training and sitting down, watching the game. I will be feeling so bad or not feeling great about myself. Like that's just the competitor in me. And that's, again, why I want to play this game as well.
0: Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring is live right now on Field & Company.
3: Uh, let's bring in Mr. Herring. Caleb, what do you think of that? Will Anderson, Bama saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to play. Quarterback playing as well. Do you have thoughts on guys who play, guys who don't play, getting ready for the NFL in these bowl games?
4: Uh, you know, I do. And I, I don't think it's it's all bad. I think for, as a fan, we suffer a little bit because the entertainment value is different. I know probably the betting market suffers a little bit with the people that don't play in bowl games. But the more and more we push players to look at themselves as sort of business commodities, which they probably already should have been uh, in years past, the more and more we'll see people sit as a business decision or as you know, looking at themselves and their bodies as an investment into their own future, so to speak. Um, so not surprising, and I, you know, I can't blame anybody who elects to sit out, but it, there is something to me to, to a guy deciding to play, um, to still have value to bowl games and the team achievement that that is. Um, it does speak a lot to the character of the guy. It speaks a lot to the competitive spirit and so on and so forth. Um, but I, like I said, I don't blame anybody that that makes a decision to sit out. But I do love hearing star players say that they're going to play um, and be a part of it. It makes this you know football season extend a little longer. Uh, there's more excitement around it. And uh, as a fan of the game, I appreciate it. Players, make the right decision for you. Consider all your options. But. We've seen time and time again injuries happen, and and maybe draft stocks dropped because of it. So don't blame players for being weary of that being a reality. Let's talk about uh, UNLV and signing
3: day. Didn't expect it to be some massive class with Barry Odom on the job two weeks. They actually inked seven guys. About right? Bigger than you thought? Smaller than you thought? What do you think?
4: Uh, you know, I think it's about right. I think, uh, you know, you want to get your, your I guess, teeth into things a little bit more before you start Spending all your scholarships, I guess, in a way of saying it, um, and make sure you're going after the guys that you really need um, that fit your roster's necessities. So I, I like this this size of the size the signing group, not just the size as, as far as numbers, but there's some pretty big guys uh, involved here. Uh, they they hit a couple of things, and we've talked about before uh, the local scene being hit, and there's been concerted effort to make a splash on the local scene. You uh, know, in this early signing group with Ed Haynes. Uh, out of Liberty is staying home in Vegas, one of the bigger guys on the line. Uh, He's going to be staying home uh, as far as things are going so far. So that's that's one of those things that you like to see in this early signing period. Um, And then across the board, addressing some of the size concerns, I think, with some some offensive alignment in the portal, some people transferring out some defensive alignment, even just because of graduation, you see some beef up front um, with some of the other guys that signed in. And then interesting, uh, the tight end position. I think was was one that I got with Christian Earls and and Charles Williams signing Charles Williams out of IMG uh, is a big name. And he's a big guy at tight end So uh, the size is really what what piqued my interest in this one, trying to get a hold of that and then develop that size. The earlier you get them in, the better. The transfer portal is going to be hit, I think, a lot harder in the next couple of cycles with with February signing and going into after spring ball. Um, So that that's what I'm looking for this signing group had a a a handful of high school guys which are going to be kind of developmental projects down the road Uh, you would hope that the early signing will get them in early I'm not sure about who all can come in the spring and be there for the spring to get a head start on things but that's what I would think uh would be the strategy for those high school guys that can to be on campus as soon as possible
2: Caleb take your radio hat off put your coach's hat on you are Bobby Petrino and you're hitting the recruiting trail with your the resume you bring with you, the off-field resume. What are you telling parents and how do you selling them to come to UNLV?
4: I am telling them that I have had off field issues. And it's a cliche thing to say, to say everybody has them. Um and maybe that those things were a distraction when they were a distraction. And now I've moved on from those. And I've learned from those mistakes and I have since made every effort to erase those things from my ledger um and that's that's just as honest as you can be as as far as going into that um it's going to be a question that's that's raised by parents especially on the recruiting trail i'm sure um he's dealt with it and he's dealt with it for years now and you know it's not like this happened last week it's, it's, it's something that's definitely in the past um but you you, you face it head on and you you know I think there is value when you're talking to a parent or, or uh, a loved one that's advising their young man uh, on what college to go to. There's a, there's an element of this that I can't think can be flipped around for a benefit going through that kind of adversity and surviving it and coming out with, I guess your head held high, learning the lessons um, is something you could try to make a PR spin out of. Like I know what it's like to go through adversity. Should your child meet some adversity, I know how it feels to, to have to have your hand held through it to, to do whatever you have to do to make amends for your mistakes, and I'm willing to coach and help should there be a mistake that arrives. And and that's, I think, you know, being closer to an incident like that maybe helps. Uh, Parents say, you know, this guy and this staff probably have a plan to how to help navigate away from those pitfalls because, unfortunately, they've been through them themselves.
3: Caleb Herring's with us. Were you surprised that uh, Aiden Robbins landed at BYU?
4: Start running back, goes to the Cougars. That that is a little bit of a surprise. Um, I, and this is, I mean, personally, it's. It, it, I understand. There's a successful school. They had a pretty down year from what they were expected to be. The way they started off, things kind of spiraled um, in recent history for uh, for BYU. And it, it, it's you never really know, right? Like, I mean, whatever drives somebody to go somewhere, it, the motivation is just it's it's completely subjective, right? To whatever that person is going through. Um, so I, I was a little bit surprised, um, but BYU is a, a, a storied university. You know the, the amount of people that have come through. there, obviously the biggest name, Steve Young, in the past, but BYU seems like they always find their way into the national conversation. Um, and maybe nowadays it has something to do with the fact that they're independent, not really tied to a conference. So they and they schedule tough. But wh- whatever it is that attracted them, uh, you know, making the trip from Louisville to UNLV and now. Uh, landed in Utah those are three very different places geographically so I don't think it's a, a decision based on that I think there's something football oriented that Aiden Robbins was looking for and um, for him I think it's a, a step uh, to advance his career as we've seen last year with Jacoby women these players that find themselves at UNLV that are highly talented players um, they are very much advertising themselves for for upgrades quote-unquote upgrades in the ranks and and Aiden Robbins I, probably feels that he upgraded his situation and his potential by landing at BYU.
3: Well, I mean, BYU does – there's some attractive things about BYU. Put aside um, inclusivity issues and diversity issues, they are going to the Big 12. So, And that starts this year. Like, don't forget, Cincinnati's had a really good day flipping guys. Cincinnati's going to the the Big 12. By the way, Central Florida lost a quarterback Mikey Keene. If anyone was wondering if Fresno State was going to take a big step back – Uh, with Jake Hayner on the way out. Mikey Keene actually landed at Fresno State. So this conference is going to continue to remain loaded. One last thing on the UNLV running back picture. Um, There's openings for people to step up and step in. I think that's where they're going to be aggressive. Our good buddy uh, Yule Mule on Twitter was saying they're good at running back because they have Courtney Reese. I don't think they're good at running back. I like Courtney Reese. I don't know that Courtney's a full-time player. I'm expecting them to go out and get some more running backs. Uh, Damian Moore a backup to Jaden Ott at Cal got injured this year he, I think he had six carries in the UNLV Cal game uh, he says he's been offered by UNLV so I would expect Barry Odom and Petrino to be hyper aggressive with running backs
4: yeah I would expect the same I think Courtney is a talented running back who I, I've said we didn't see enough of at right. you know at running back last year for UNLV so I think he will be a good horse in the stable so to speak but one, his size—he's not durable. You, you're not going to get the amount of carries, 20 carries a game, that you were getting from from Aiden, and expect him to stay healthy, um, just from the nature of his size. Um, but then you also got to think about the attrition of guys like Chad Maguire, who was on the depth chart and he didn't play because of injury a lot this year. But the depth is taking a hit here. Um, and I think you know we had a plan in place. Uh, this is going back to the Charles Williams era, where there were supposed to be you know a kind of stable of running backs always available. And the first domino to fall was, if you remember a couple years ago, Dylan Downing going in the transfer portal to Purdue after basically a couple of games on the roster at UNLV. And that was another hit to the running back stable that kind of has gradually lost its depth. Running back was kind of the the one thing that you didn't have to worry about. now with Aiden entering the transfer portal, um, things are looking a little bit lighter. Hopefully some of the guys that are currently on the roster could step up. Um, and, you know, got some young guys in and 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 Humphreys who who made a name for himself this year, but I think it's definitely going to be an issue that's going to be addressed, whether it be the transfer portal or in the upcoming recruiting season. I, I think they definitely have to hit running back. And I think the skill positions, honestly, with the people in the transfer portal may get more attention that you, than you wanted them to get or, or with guys that are trying to make an exit on both sides of the ball. So, But running back is definitely going to be a priority. What do you think of how the Mountain West has done so far in bowl games? You know, it's interesting because I always look at bowl games, the cross-conference matchups and – Uh, who's playing who and everybody always says this conference is a powerhouse this conference is nothing and there was a lot of talk about the Mountain West having a down year this year as far as being a terrible conference Hmm. Uh, and then you look at how they fare in bowl games and you see Fresno State kind of put it on Washington State and uh, those kind of games go on I think uh, you know Boise State having a good showing and then you look at what's projected ahead in Air Force paying Baylor and San Diego State but it, it's always interesting that UNA, or excuse me, <laughs> the Mountain West typically in bowl games fares pretty well. Like as far as how they match up against the other conferences, there's a lot of variables. Understandable that some you know teams aren't playing all of their starters. Guys are leaving. I get that, but I think it's a good measure of where the conference is, especially to finish the year off. Uh, the amount of guys that played for Fresno State, looking at Jake Hayner and all that stuff. There's a lot of questions if he would even come back to finish the rest of his year after the injury. Right. So it was good to see him represent the conference well for obvious reasons for the conference as a whole. But then there's the competitive landscape of, of being able to say, hey, with all this conference realignment stuff, with all these things that are going on, you get to kind of measure you know, the, the, the top half of the conference against the rest of the nation. And I think the conference does well. I think they represent well on that stage. I, San Jose State and Eastern Michigan was one of those tougher games um, but it was it was it's good to see the conference compete well against other conferences, especially when you're talking about power five conference competition. I think that's really awesome that Fresno State represented well there. Caleb, good job, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. All right, take care guys. happy holidays. There he is. Caleb Herring.
3: Yeah. Fresno. one easy. UNLV was a couple of tackles away from beating Fresno. Remember that? Bad tackling. And North Texas got destroyed. By UNLV here and actually gave Boise a pretty good game. So the five-win season wasn't half bad and as bad as a lot of fans out there, especially detractors,
0: the you UNLV, you think it was. Festivus is coming this Friday on Cofield and Company.
1: Willie, do you understand your job is to be a radio personality and not
3: sell your son's products? We get it. Jordan owns the perfect gym. I had to get the full plug in there, or I was afraid Willie might
0: interrupt I'm on a tight schedule. I would like to know that I can actually listen to The Big Five at 5 at 5 because I love it. And when I miss it, I'm super sad. The big day is this Friday. Cofield and Company's Festivus.